You're listening to Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. We are in Genesis this morning. Um, we are finding that in this covenant storyline that we're learning, uh, the covenants, the relationships God is making with God's people, that the bulk of them so far, of the six or seven major covenants you find in Scripture, we are 12 chapters into Genesis already. We have three of them. There is a lot of stuff happening in the life of humanity in the very beginning stages of humanity. And we've looked at the story of Adam and Eve and how God covenanted with them to provide a way to give them access back to the Garden of Eden, to eternity with life, uh, with God and life um, forever and ever in joy with God in harmony. Um, and we have looked at the story of Noah and how God cleansed the earth and then provided a new way to start relationship with him. And now we're going to look at the story of Abram this morning. Um, but before we get there, uh, let's do a quick summary kind of catch up because uh, there are multiple chapters between Noah and Abram and the stuff that happens in between those chapters actually matters to our story today, um, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, but uh, we are not going to be reading like 10 chapters today. So again, I'm going to do kind of a brief summary so that we understand how we get to the point that we're starting today because covenants are relationships and we need to understand how this plays out. So last week, we ended in Genesis chapter 9 with God's covenant with Noah where he was released from the ark, be fruitful and multiply, you can eat all the animals uh, and don't kill people was kind of how uh, we left off um, last, uh, last week. In the middle of chapter 9, you pick up with a lot of um, genealogy. So you get Noah's descendants because God said be fruitful and multiply. And so you can read the proof of that right there in the next verses. Um, there's the proof that Noah had some descendants. Uh, he did some things he shouldn't have done, right? He wasn't a perfect individual. Um, and then you read in chapter 10, there are more descendants. In fact, it says nations descend from Noah. So you get the idea that time is passing, right? If this was a movie, you would see like a time lapse of the sky and the sun and the weather seasons fade and all that kind of stuff. And then suddenly you see the world filled again with people, the descendants of Noah. Now you get to Genesis chapter 11, and that's the Tower of Babel story. And if you're not familiar with that, there are all these people descended, filled the earth. And they all spoke the same language and they all had one heart and one mind. And their one heart and one mind was that they should be as great as God, if not greater. And so they decided we are going to work together against God to become as great as God. We're going to build a tower and reach all the way up to heavens. And that's going to be our great accomplishment because look at what we have done. We built our own security. And God said, listen, that's not how it's supposed to be. This is not good for you. And so what he did was... He gave every fifth person a different language. I don't know how it worked out, but he kind of went down the line. He went Spanish, English, Greek, German, you know, all these languages that we have, right? And suddenly no one could understand anybody anymore. And so they broke up into areas of the world by their language. And that is how we got to have nations with languages today. And then we get even more descendants. And so we understand that even after God fractured the one humanity into multiple cultures and they languages and nations they still continue to multiply right and so there were lots and lots and lots of people and you can read all that through genesis chapter 11. then we get to abraham so we are 
generations and generations removed from Noah at this point, okay? And it may have been like two and a half or three chapters, but you need to understand now the world is populated, growing, civilization is increasing, there are languages and arts and cultures and all kinds of things going on, and then, and then we meet this guy named Abram, right? Um, and, uh, and it's very fascinating um, because, uh, again, like with the story of Noah, where God looked out over all the humanity and chose one person to bestow his grace and favor on, again, God looks at all humanity and he goes, I choose Abram to be my special buddy. We're going to have a very unique relationship and it's going to affect the rest of the world, but I'm going to start it through Abram. It's going to be the start of something significant. He's going to be the representative that is going to help me make people look like me again, have relationship with me again. And so this, this story is fascinating and it starts when God talks to Abram for the first time, right? It's the beginning of chapter 12. When I was in undergraduate work, I took a, a missions class and, uh, I don't remember anything about the missions class. Uh, except one thing, that we had to memorize Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three. I don't think I could recite it from heart anymore, but I remember the emphasis being on that passage and this promise that God made to Abram. And I wanna read it to you this morning because this is the moment when God speaks to Abram very clearly and says, I have a promise for you, and it's this. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. And whoever blesses you, I will bless. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And in you and through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is mind blowing, is it not? That is such a promise from God. Wouldn't you love it if God spoke audibly to you in language like that? Not only am I speaking to you, but whoever blesses you, I'll bless. Whoever curses you, I'll curse. You have the strong right arm of the Lord defending you left and right. And you know, because God is telling you, you will become a great nation. Your legacy will be huge. This is phenomenal for Abram. This is absolutely, literally life-changing. The moment that God chose him to be a father of nations of nations. His nation was going to be the premier nation in the eyes of God. This was going to be the nation he was going to have a special relationship with, and it was going to start with Abram. And this was a promise, though, not yet a covenant. Um, this was something that demanded um, Abram's obedience. Because... Part of the promise is uh, pick up from where you are and go somewhere else. You don't know where you're going. I'll tell you when you get there, right? So the modern day equivalent would be um, if you've, uh, you know, you're settled in this place in Ketchikan, right? And you've been here a while and you have a house full of stuff and you have family and friends and a job and you know, all these kinds of things. And then in your prayer time, you hear the Lord say, pick up all of your stuff. Get on the ferry, and I'll tell you when to stop traveling. So imagine you tell your family and your friends, okay, the Lord spoke to me, and he said I, I should pack up everything, and I should go, and he'll tell me where I'm going when I get there. And they're like, well, where are you going to go? I don't know. I guess I'll just get on the ferry, and when it stops, I guess I'll just get off, and I trust that he'll 
lead me to the next step. I mean, I'll have all my stuff with me and we'll just go and then hopefully the Lord will be clear and tell me when to stop. This is the kind of epic journey that Abram was on. There was no Google. There was no, you know, GPS system. There was just the Lord telling him, pick up, take everything you've got and go. So this might have made um, Abram sound a little crazy to his family. Um, sometimes I wonder if you have to be a little bit crazy to follow God because I look at Noah and he's like, build a big boat because it's going to rain in the desert. Um, and everybody, you know, it's like, what are you talking about? That can't possibly be real. But obedience to God is very significant in relationship with him. And so it continues, Abram went just like the Lord told him. Okay, so he was obedient and faithful. And then verse 6 tells us this. Abram passed through the land, the land of the Canaanites, and the Lord appeared to Abram on the journey and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. And so at that moment, Abram stopped. He built an altar and he worshiped because wouldn't you be thankful if suddenly then the Lord intervened and said, guess what? This is the land that your people will have. Like, you know, he didn't abandon you to the journey, but he's with you on the journey. He chose Abram to have a special, unique relationship with him, and he's with him along the entire way. This is an absolutely phenomenal beginning to the relationship that God is forming with Abram. But as of yet, there's no covenant, right? There's just a promise. So you have to flip a few chapters forward. Um, if you flip to chapter 15, this is where we're going to um, read a little bit about the covenant. In between chapters uh, 12 and 15 are chapters, uh, the latter half of chapter 12, 13, and 14. Uh, you should probably read that section at some point because God chose Abram, but Abram wasn't perfect. Okay, And if you read the latter half of 12, 13, and 14, you'll find that there were some issues in Abram's life, and they pop up later as well. Um, we just need to know that uh, God loves his imperfect people, and he loves them too much to let them stay the way they are. And so he chooses to have a relationship with imperfect people to draw them towards perfection, okay? Um, and we pick up in chapter 15 with this beautiful story of a covenant. In fact, my heading is God's covenant with Abraham. Abraham's about 75, 85 years old at this point. He was 75 when he picked it up and left his hometown. And the things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, what will you give me? Because I'm childless and the heir of my house is a distant relative named Eleazar of Damascus. Abram said, listen, you've given me no offspring. A member of my household will have to be my heir. The promise that you made to me years ago before I picked up and traveled to this place, still, I mean, where's my kid, God? This is what Abram said. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man's not going to be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And then he brought Abram outside into the night. And he said, look towards the heaven and number the stars. And if you are able to number them, go ahead and number them. And that was kind of like a sarcastic comment. God's joking here. Go ahead and try and number the stars, Abram. It's not really possible for you. But go ahead and try, and let's have a laugh about how you can't and lose your place a few times. And then let's realize together that the number of stars that you can't count, because there's too many, are going to be the number of descendants you have, because I'm going to give you children, and children's children, and children's children's children. The promise that I made to you years ago still is sustained today. It's a big promise God made to him, 
there were too many stars and there will be too many descendants. And then again, Abram was faced with this decision. Do I believe or do I not believe? He picked up and moved across country, right? That's pretty significant uh, in that day and age. Uh, so that was faith in God. And then he was there for a while. Nothing seemed to happen. Do you lose faith after 10, 15, 20 years without hearing from God, without seeing the fruits of the promise? Do you lose faith? And then um, God pulled Abram aside and had this conversation and in verse 6, it says, And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Righteousness! We get righteousness from Jesus in the New Testament. He had righteousness through simple, obedient faith in the Lord and his word. This is a beautiful picture. His faith is counted to him as righteousness. And then something really cool happened, something that, that, that we haven't seen with our own eyeballs. The Lord said, listen grab a, a bull that's three years old and a goat that's three years old and some other animals and bring them and, and cut them in half and place them in front of you. And, uh, and Abram did that. And then this deep sleep fell on Abram. And uh, as the sun was going down, it says in verse 12, a deep sleep fell on Abram and a dreadful darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said, the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. They will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation they serve. And afterwards, they will come out with great possessions. That's talking about the trial of Israel in Egypt when they were enslaved to Pharaoh there. Okay? But as for yourself, you will die at an old age and be buried, and you'll have a good life, and then you'll die is basically it. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch. This is the the visible representation of the Shekinah glory of God, came down from heaven to earth, Scripture tells us, and passed between the cut pieces of the animals, right? And on that day, the Lord made a covenant, cut a covenant with Abraham, saying, or to Abram, saying, to your offspring I give this land. And then he defines the borders of the land by country, okay? God is saying, listen, I'm making an unconditional, unilateral covenant with you. Nothing is going to change this. This land will belong to you and your descendants, and I am going to bear the weight of making sure this covenant is true. You can't give this land to yourself in perpetuity. You can't make that happen, but I, the Lord, can, and so I will pass through the cutting of the bull, the cutting of the covenant. I will pass through by myself and bear the full weight of this covenant on myself. God is making a unique covenant relationship with Abram that he would one day have land for his nation, that there would be an inheritance for the nation that would become Israel. And then there's a second portion to this covenant. It happens in chapter 17. And again, chapter 16 uh, gives us a little uh, idea of how he uh, gets a descendant, uh, the story of uh, his wife, and, and so forth. So you can read that and catch on on how he has a kid, or two or three. Um, but in chapter 17, we see the second portion of this covenant. We have the unconditional, unilateral covenant for land. That belongs to Abraham and his descendants. But now we have something that gets a little more personal. It's like this covenant is in two stages. We've got the, the blessing on the outside of things, right? And that's great. We receive the blessing, Abram says, of the land. 
But God says it's not just about the exterior things. It's about you personally. This is a relationship that is personal. This must affect you personally. And so this portion of the covenant goes from the theoretical outside receiving of the promises to how does this get applied to me personally? Okay. In chapter 17, we read the second portion of that. It's the covenant of circumcision. Abram was 99 years old now. So we're looking at, I don't do math very good, 24 years have passed roughly since the time that God told him pick up and move uh, to the time that God institutes the covenant of circumcision with Abraham. And this is how this covenant reads. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him again. Boy, it's great to continually having the Lord pop up in your life. And he said, I'm the Lord God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. That's such good verbiage be blameless god is saying you could be blameless this is wonderful walk before me and be blameless and i will make my covenant between me and you that you may multiply greatly and so abram fell on his face before god and god said behold my covenant is with you you will be the father of a multitude of nations but no longer will your name be called abram your name will be called abraham because I have made you the father of nations. The little suffix on the end of the word H-A-M means father of. So um, he became the father of nations in that name change. Um, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. Everlasting means everlasting like forever it never ends it goes on and on and on and on and on right um because the kingdom of god is everlasting and it has no end this is a covenant that is everlasting that has no end to be god to you and your offspring after you okay the covenant is that god will be abraham and his people's god forever and ever and always this is awesome and all the land of Canaan will be an everlasting possession. So I will have people and my people will have land, God says. Then verses 9 through 14, God said to Abraham, as for you, this is how you're going to keep my covenant. This is not unconditional. Abraham now has things to do to keep the covenant. God is asking him to act in faith in this relationship with him. As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring and after you throughout the generations. This is the covenant you will keep between me and you and your offspring. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh. An everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people because he has broken my covenant. Okay, I, let me just unpack this here for just a few moments. There's a few things in here that are phenomenal. First of all, this is now very personal, right? Like it's no longer, great, we inherit the land, but it's a you want me to what? Okay, because this covenant affects the human body, right? It, 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 it is a painful kind of cutting. It physically alters you. It changes you. And God says, listen, the sign of the covenant here is that you are going to be obedient to me and be circumcised. 
Anyone in your generations down will do this as well. And if they are not, they are not part of the covenant. This is how you are going to define yourselves as unique to me, as part of the covenant. A unique, a unique relationship with God changes you. It changes you by your identity. Abram became Abraham. He has a new identity. No longer who he was, but who he is because of God blessing over him. But also, it's a personal thing. He is physically altered after this relationship with God is instituted. Abram became Abraham, and then he became permanently physically altered as a sign of the covenant. It was no longer an arm cut, right? No blood brothers, right? And, and there was no cutting of the bull this time and passing through with God. This was a physical cutting of his own flesh. It was painful and made him visibly different. And everyone in his descendants line, including servants, would have to follow through with this cutting if they wanted to be part of the covenant. Um, special relationships with God are cut, right? Um, and when we read this Old Testament passage, a lot of people tend to think about Judaism because there's a law keeping here and they still keep the covenant of cutting. But this covenant of cutting, specifically the very personal painful cutting um, is one to point us to something significant in the future. When we read the Old Testament story, it's supposed to point us towards uh, Jesus. Um, we understand from Scripture, and hopefully you've been around enough to hear me say that our sin is what separates us from God, right? Uh, it's the problem that God is trying to solve from the beginning of time, that we have a heart bent away from God rather than towards God. Um, and our sin is such a great obstacle to God that drastic measures have to be taken uh, so that we might have covenant relationship with him, so that we might be in special relationship with him. And when we read scripture, we understand that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth to walk among us and live a perfect life and a sinless life and a holy life in order to go to the cross and die on the cross in our place for our sins, right? And in the time that Jesus was on the cross, scripture tells us that he, uh, he bore all the weight of our sin, past, present, and future, for all of humanity, in his body on the tree. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And, and in those moments that Jesus was suffering and dying for the sins of the world, scripture tells us that something significant happened there, that he was cut off. If you read in, in Isaiah, printed it out here nice and big for me, Isaiah 53, chapter eight. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away, speaking of Jesus. And as for his generation, he was cut off from the land of the living. He was stricken for the transgression of my people. So God is saying, my people, my children, the one I have made the covenant with, the covenant of circumcision with, the covenant of special relationship with, my people have still lived in sin. And so I sent my son and he was cut off from the land of the living instead of my people. My people will get life and Jesus will get death. And it's not just that he was cut off from the land of the living, but it goes even further than that. When you read in the Gospel of Matthew, the, cru uh, the crucifixion account, chapter 27, verse 6, Jesus is on the cross dying for the sins of the world, and he cries out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in those moments, it's not just that he was being cut off from the land of the living, he was being cut off from the Father because sin is separation. 
right? And when we are in sin, we are separated from God. But in order to join us and God together in unique fellowship again, in unique relationship together, something had to be cut off. Jesus was separated from God, so we are joined to God. Jesus was separated from God in death and the wrath and the penalty of sin, and we were joined together in life and unity because of that. And this is great because this redeems us from our original sin so that perhaps our hearts might not be bent away from God, but instead might be bent towards God, or at least put in a very neutral position where we might be able to choose holiness instead of sin. But we still have this problem, this very personal problem, right? And this is where the covenant goes even further. Like with Abraham, there was the great blessing of the land, right? But then it became very personal when he said, I want you to circumcise yourself. Um, this also applies to us. We have to make a personal decision. It's not just that we recognize that Jesus died on the cross for our sin and we have that head knowledge. But we have to have that head knowledge make the distance 18 inches from the head to the heart, right? And we need to apply that because this is the greatest distance in humanity. We can know it, but we don't often live it, right? And so um, we need to make this covenant thing that God has done very personal to us. In which case we might need a circumcision of our own, of our heart. Um, and this circumcision that, that God was talking about with Abraham uh, points to the real circumcision of our hearts that was to come later. And in Romans 2, 29, Paul is talking about the sin in our life and how we might be cleansed of that and how we might be formed into the image of God. And Romans is just such a rich book full of all kinds of goodness. And one of the things that Paul says in there in verse 29 is circumcision, okay? Talking to the Jews, he's saying, listen, you have the circumcision of the flesh. I understand that, but it's pointing to something bigger. Circumcision is a matter of the heart, and it's done by the working of the Spirit, not by keeping of the law. If you want to be in relationship with God, if you want to be heart cleansed and you want to live a holy life and be reformed into the image of God and restored back to the way that Adam and Eve were, then your heart needs to be circumcised. It's not your flesh. It's your heart that needs to be circumcised. And in fact, in Jeremiah, it actually says something quite progressive. Jeremiah, uh, he was kind of the emo poet of the day. Um, I imagine if he walked around, he would, he would be wearing black nail polish and have long black hair. Just the way that he talks, it kind of, it kind of sounds like that. But he said something so progressive um, for his Old Testament knowledge of God. He said this, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your heart. He's making that analogy already in the New for the New Testament folks, but he's doing it in the Old Testament. He's saying, listen, it's never about circumcision. It's about circumcision. And, and he wants us to do that. God wants us to do that. And it's done by God, not by us. He wants to work in your heart. God wants to do something in your heart by which he circumcises, removes, cuts off the parts of you that don't look like him. The parts that are contrary to him. The parts that struggle against him. The parts that separate us from him. The Holy Spirit can circumcise, cut away those things, chisels them away, if you were, so that we can bear the full image of God and not the image of us. Because it was never about us. It was about God mending relationship with us. Now, we've got a, a short, relatively short video that I think kind of takes this idea and, and brings it home. Um, and after this video is played, um, we're going to have the worship team come up and lead us in a time of worship. Um, during that time of worship, 
we have communion elements available. There's just a handful. We keep them up here just in case someone in the congregation wants to say, I really need those covenant elements today. I really need the, the cup and the wafer. I need to enter into, to be reminded of, to embrace and be embraced by the covenant that Jesus paid with his blood and his body on the cross. Um, so know that those are available during the time of worship. But for now, watch this video and reflect upon what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you in terms of heart circumcision. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a, a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a Picasso. It's like, <laughs> but I want to be his masterpiece. I want to be everything he created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, Dear Heavenly Father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your son. Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hi. Whoa. Who are you? I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am. You said the prayer. That's how it works. Okay, okay. If you're God, then uh, make it snow in here. You know what? I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind of yucky. Yeah, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. I do. It's a Greek word. Oh. Okay, okay. Um, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is only five chapters. It's a very short book. Oh. Why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh. Okay, okay. If you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year? I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. What well, gave it away? You answered my question with a question. I did? <sighs> yeah, I do that. Don't I? I did it again. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm going to make you my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Wait, wait. What are these about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. Oh, hey, God. Mm -hmm. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave? I take out everything you like that doesn't belong there, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, could you chisel right here? It showed up when I was in my 20s and grew around and became back fat. I don't even know why you created that, but I can't get rid of it. I mean, I've tried everything. Like, I tried running, I tried lifting weights. My wife actually talked me into trying Pilates. That was awkward. But I can't get rid of it. So if you would just chisel around here, and then, you know what, if you chisel a line right here and maybe four to five, maybe eight lines right here. That would be awesome. You're funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. Oh, the platypus. All I'm saying is most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So do you want to talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel, No, talk, no, chisel. no, 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 no. I choose to chisel. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on. Like your anger. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um, you compare yourself to others instead of me. You tell little white lies because you want to people please. You're lazy. But you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. You have a problem with lust? Well, time out. <laughs> I don't really have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. <sighs> Hang on a second. I mean, I, I gotta admit, I, I feel like you've been doing some great work and I'm looking pretty good right now. All right, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? 
I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and other people need to see my son. Okay, don't misunderstand me. It's just um, when I look more like Jesus, people get uncomfortable around me. I mean, even my church friends, and they're like, oh, you're holier than thou, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't think I'm supposed to make people uncomfortable. So what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. That is not what I said. It's what you meant. Yes, it is. Um, it's hard to talk to you. You know everything that I'm thinking. I'm just saying you've done some great work. Maybe we take a break, a sabbatical from each other, you know. I'll stay right here and then, you That's know. That's just it. You never just stay right there. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but never you just stay. What you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things or life or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, no, chisel. No, chisel, chisel. All right. But can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Now this right here, this secret sin that you keep running to whenever you're hurting, angry, lonely, tired, that you think you're fooling everybody, but it's making you a whitewashed tomb. Are you ready for me to chisel this out of your life? Yeah. See, it's a process. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's your whole life. And you care so deeply about what other people think of you. It's rubbish. It's garbage. The greatest thing you're ever going to hear is at the end of your life when you hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you keep your eye on. That's the prize. Heavenward. Oh, that hurts. Oh, trust me. This hurts me more than it hurts you. Right. Okay. I'm sorry. I just, I don't think you understand this pain. Pardon me? You're asking me to sacrifice a lot, God. Don't talk to me about sacrifice. I know all about sacrifice. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And there are things that you've been doing for years, these empty wells that don't have anything to offer. You've been going to them and it's insane. Allow me to chisel them out of your life. Um, allow me to produce character where you keep focusing so much on your image. Okay, but I was thinking. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Okay, but if we went another way. Your ways are not oh, my ways. Oh, I can't. You can't what? I, I, I can't be good. That's your excuse. That's your excuse is that you can't be good. It's not an excuse. I can't. Oh, my child. In the beginning. I said it was good. I made you good. Be good. Yeah, but you and I both... What? Nothing. No, what is it? Nothing, okay? You wouldn't understand. I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something one of my children has to say. Try me. It's just, um... I let you down so many times, God. No, my child. You were never holding me up. I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand. Never the other way around. In this relationship, I hold you up. Okay. Chisel away. Just, just be prepared for what you're going to find in there. Because I know who's inside there. Because I get up every morning... And I look at him in the mirror, and I hate who I see. Because deep inside there, this, this, this little kid who gets up every morning and dresses like an adult, 
and I go out and I, and I try to do what I'm supposed to do, but I can't, okay? I can't be who everybody else expects me to be. God, I can't even be who I want to be, much less who you created me to be. And so inside is this scared, stupid little kid. But you chisel away. Just be prepared. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that were not for me. And you have totally bought into the lie, haven't you? You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night after you've done the dance to get the hug, you think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't take time to make junk. How can I show you that my love for you stretches as far as the east to the west? That How can I show you that my love for you has no end? I know. Reach your back pocket. What? Reach your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach your back pocket. Oh, God. Yes? I just meant, God, I'll do that right now. You were just saying my name in vain. Come on. It's, it's a name. It's a saying. It's a name above all names. It's more than a saying. It's more than a name. I want to teach you something about my name. Reach in your back pocket. Oh, my gosh. You know what that is? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a note. I, I wrote it when I was in college. How did you get this? Hello? Oh, yeah. Go ahead, read it. I love Angie. Other side. Sorry. Dear God, did I hear you right today? Did I hear you say that you love me? Even though you and I both know I've messed up so many times. Did I hear you say you want to use me? And I feel so useless. If you'll take me and use me, then God, I give you all that I am. Take me. I love you, God. I love you too. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. This salvation that you hold, I don't want it to be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want you to work it out in every detail of your life. And when problems come and chaos happens, don't look at it as a, as a prison, but look at it as a father disciplines his child. A father disciplines the ones he loves. I know, but it's going to be tough. Yes, but you bought into the lie thinking everything was going to be easy when you gave everything over to me. There will be trouble in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy is God's... No, not the way you see yourself or you try so desperately for others to see you, but maybe for the first time in your life, the way I see you, the way I created you. Tommy... Is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece.
go in knowing that you are his workmanship. He loves you. Amen. You've just heard a message from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. To learn more about our church or to support our ministries, you can visit KTNNAZ.org. Thank you.